Welcome to the Growth Lab Podcast, where we talk about finding new clients, winning more contracts, and growing successful cleaning businesses. I'm your host, Matt Harris, and I run the Growth Lab. We partner with cleaning business owners to launch, accelerate, and scale the growth of their business with tried and tested systems and strategies that generate predictable revenue. If you're turning over at least six figures and you want to grow your cleaning business to seven figures plus, click on the link in the description and schedule a call. Now let's dive in. Hi guys, welcome back to the Growth Lab podcast. I'm here with Martin Riley, business and leadership coach, author. Really excited to have this conversation because in the warm up and also in the the call that Martin and I had to arrange this podcast, we went off in a few different directions. So Martin, without me rambling on for an introduction for you, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and we'll go from there. Sure, it'd be an absolute pleasure. I'm a business and leadership coach. My former career, I was a product designer and I morphed into leadership and business coaching. And and my real forte is making the complex simple because put simply, a lot of business owners, they're great at what they do. They're just not great at business. And, And really I've used all my design thinking to simplify things down to try and help business owners think like an expert as quickly as possible because that's when business becomes so much easier. So what what does that mean? Expand a little bit more. I can appreciate making things simple because I've been a business owner myself. A lot of when I got started went went over my head, sort of learning things from from scratch. I think the biggest hurdles from my perspective were uh, sort of the finance aspects and probably looking at routes to grow my business. So just just give us a bit of context as to how you simplifies complex elements into into simple understanding so for me it's a bit like having the picture on the jigsaw box we're often bombarded by advice we're told there's so many things we should do to fix change or improve our business but the challenge is we don't know if it's a simple concept an intermediate concept an advanced concept what's appropriate for us at our stage in growth so what i try and do is is break business down just into a few basic steps that every business has to follow rinse and repeat so so for example Most businesses need to know really their their vision or purpose. Then they need to know what their core business model is, what they're aiming at. Then they need to know what are the high impact priorities that that are going to deliver that business model. Then they've got to put that into action, then rinse and repeat. Once you've ticked off that set of actions, you go, let's just double check. So when you know actually that's what you should be doing as an iterative cycle, suddenly you go, okay, let me give that some focus. Now, most business owners, they may not have put too much attention, say, into their their vision and purpose, but they kind of know what they're trying to aim at. So when I start with the business, I'm not over-concerned at putting too much into that. I just like to double-check, why are you doing this? What do you want to achieve? What really matters? But then what I do is get into the basics of a business model and make sure that's sound and solid, because if it's not... It's like trying to get an aircraft to take off that's missing half the part. You know, it's a sanity check. Is this ever going to fly? Because there's some elements we can talk through. And I break that down into three parts. And then you've got to be able to choose your strategic plans because there's so many things you're told you should do. There's so many things to get right. You can end up trying to fix everything at, at once. And you get overwhelmed. You get burnt out. You get confused. And you're not even sure if it's the right thing. And also, we tend to focus on the things we're best at and ignore the things that scare us. So again, if we can go, actually, there's a simpler way of doing that to get started. And over time, we get more and more sophisticated once our confidence grows and our skill grows. And that's the other thing I find is 
business owners can, can overcomplicate too soon because that's the best information they can find. So what I try and do is work with people starting at a simple level and building up the sophistication and complexity of what they do. I think definitely, you. so a couple of things you said there, just thinking back to when I started, very much focused on, on what my strongest skills were. And at that time it was admin processes, mm -hmm. but it kind of discounted sales, marketing, actually going out and, and winning the business. So from your perspective, when, when you work with clients, how, how do you approach sort of assessing where their business is right now and the, the next sort of three actions or the, the next three goals that they need to, to focus on in order to move forward? So, so what I'm looking for initially is have they fundamentally got a business that is working, but they want it to work better? In which case, I'm going to assume for the moment the business model's fairly sound because they're making money, but they'd like to make more money. Sure. So we're saying, okay, here we have someone who's got a car, the engine works, but they want to fine tune mm -hmm. it. Let's assume it's fundamentally pretty good. They're winning some races. But if we've got someone where it just isn't working, they're not really getting the work they want. It's just a constant struggle. I'm, I'm going to say, well, we need to start with the business model because you're not even getting off the grid. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 la you're last in every race. You have a fundamentally uncompetitive car. <laughs> so let's go back to the business model and make sure you've got wheels, you've got a chassis, you've got an engine, blah, blah, blah. So there's kind of two bits. So the, the second bit is where I use what I call the business jet engine diagnostic, which I can come on to. But we might, might want to cover the business model first because it sort of fits more, more logically. Yeah, sure. so, so with a, a business model, to simplify that down, I like to think of it in three basic parts, three, three circles. The, the first circle, this is about the problems you love to solve, are good at solving, are expert at solving, because that's what you're going to be solving for your clients. But also within that, you have to identify what gives you edge. So it's not that I'm, a, a, a say, a major football fan, but most of us can relate if, if we are or if we're not. But the top teams are highly competitive and win everything. Everyone else is mm. struggling, whether at the middle or at the bottom. If, you wanna, if you're going to be in a league, you want to be in, in that top bunch because they generate the income and it gives them the freedom to, to improve. So yeah. we need to be at the top of our league. So we need to find a league where we have edge. So this is all about asking ourselves, what makes me unique that my clients value that's hard to copy? And when I say that, most business owners start to look fairly anxious. But then I say, okay, so what is it you're really good at? And how have you learned to be good at that? And what have you invested time, money, energy in learning, both professionally and from life? Yeah. Because say, for example, you know, when I started coaching, I may not have been the best coach, but I was bringing 20 years of design thinking and design experience. So I'd learned to ask really good questions. I'd learned to be able to look for the big picture and then hone in on details. But I'd also learned to ask, what really makes the biggest difference here? If you're going to have a number of parts, in a machine, which ones are really doing the work, which are important, which are less important. So I kind of had ways of looking at information and businesses and going, what's really doing the work here and what's doing less of the work. So I brought that into the coaching world and other people will bring other things into whatever they're, they're doing. You know, that maybe there's some people who are extremely good with the elderly and they're running a, a, a cleaning company. Well, yeah. they should be looking to specialize there because they have a unique empathy, a unique understanding that that particular client base will value. So. Back to our circles, we've got the first circle which is the problems you love to solve and there's something that you have unique that's hard to copy. Because if you have, say, a natural empathy for the elderly, not everybody has that. Not yeah. everybody can do that. The second circle is 
Who are the clients, the customers who really value what I'm good at solving and will pay for it? So going back to yeah. the, the, the cleaning model, there are probably plenty of more elderly customers who want someone who's got empathy, who they can absolutely trust, et cetera, et cetera. You know, who really gets the difference with working for them. And then the third circle is mutually appropriate pricing, because you have to have figured out your numbers to go, how many clients do I need at what price to make a profit? Not just to break even or struggle. What do I need to make to make a profit? And who's the customer willing to pay that and think it's mm. great value? Because say, say, for example, say in some trades, some trades think it's all about going cheap. But I mm. know particularly, say, for wealthy clients, they want it done right first time and you've gone. They want it done to a, a standard that they can be exceptionally proud of and they don't want you back five times fixing it. So yeah. charging cheap to try and think you're going to win the money isn't the right way to go. So it's it's saying who's who values what I need to charge to make the money and then I've got to say, okay, how do I set myself up to appeal to them? So when you've got those three circles, the problems you love to solve, the clients who value what you solve, and then the pricing model, how many of these per month or per year do I have to sell to make my money? You've suddenly got some targets and plans. And that's and what, in that sweet spot where the three circles overlap, that's yeah. what you're aiming at. And most businesses, they've got one or two of those well thought through, but not the third. I, I, would, I would say that in my experience, definitely the knowing your client, like having an, an ideal client to go after is is definitely a, a big stumbling block for a lot of cleaning businesses. I think the pricing element from my experience is very much a race to the bottom. Everyone is trying to be the cheapest quote and we need to make sure that we submit the cheapest quote because that, that will ensure that we win the business. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that finding your competitive edge, like your unfair advantage, the thing that separates you from from the rest yes you might be offering a cleaning service but as you mentioned like what what nuances what what sort of unique perspective can you mm -hmm. bring to offering that service which doesn't necessarily have to come from inside the industry you can as you mentioned you can leverage your previous experience i think that that is something that is massively overlooked so a couple of questions from me when you speak with perhaps startup businesses or people that are looking to start their first business which out of those three elements is often the the biggest hurdle that they need to overcome the the, the third one the pricing because as you say they okay. tend to fear it's a race for the bottom and and they they don't have the confidence yet to charge for what they do yeah but and that's why it's so important to go who's going to value what i can do differently so say say for example you've got a background in security mm. for whatever reason you understand security, but you want to set up a cleaning company, then go, who needs to know they've got a highly vetted and loyal team where confidentiality is key? You go into a law firm, you've got people in there with all sorts of extremely confidential information. So law firms may well value a cleaning company where go, we're not the cheapest and we don't want to be because mm. we have vetted our people. We absolutely can guarantee the security of your information when our team are in your building. And, and it's things like that going, what is it I understand? What, what industry, what background do I have some empathy for? And I can build myself to really appeal to them. And it's not always cheap that they want. There's always going to be some who want cheap, in which case you have to be really good at organization. You've got to be really good at processes and streamlining and systemizing to, to get prices to their bottom. You look at pe people like Ikea. 
they specialize in taking the money out of every step of the process. And you've got to have that skill set to go, right, we're going to compete on price. Sure. And also be able to deliver at scale, right? Because I think yeah. that's really where the, the price, like where you can win on pricing. If, if, if you're, addressable market is a thousand people and you're trying to compete on price i'm sorry that's that's really not going to work you need to be able to yeah. as you say have an operation setup that enables you to deliver the service that you're looking to provide at the reduced margins but to a massive audience so i guess that kind of takes me into knowing your client and identifying your ideal client have you got a process for going through steps to go through to kind of figure out who the market you should go after the niche you should go after is there any sort of action yeah. tips that you can give in that respect this is again where i like to make the complex simple think of someone who's like that and go and talk to them go and meet <laughs> and talk we forget mm. we do all this kind of online so let's do this <laughs> go and talk to someone have a conversation if their eyes don't light up with what you're suggesting or offering you ha don't have to sell to them you have to go look you're in this industry i'm thinking of setting up a business to do this kind of thing what do you think does it make sense and if you're saying something that does make sense you should see their eyes lighting up and going that's really hard we struggle to find people who do that well if you get going maybe we'll change to you and then you have 10 more conversations like that that's half your marketing done that's true so you pre-sold before you've set up so to me it, it comes back to before we even try and market online Let's see, how do people react face-to-face? -face? If, if our words aren't resonating, if the things we say don't resonate, don't spend a lot of money building a website saying stuff that people mm. don't respond to. <laughs> so this is so bringing it back down to basics, but they're what yeah. I call the advanced basics. They're, they're the, the basics, but from someone who's got the expert insight to go, these are the few things that you've really got to get right. So, so let's go a step beyond that. So I've, yeah. I've got an existing business and, I, and I've, yeah. I've not been focused at all. Yes, I provide a cleaning service, but I'm providing it to a whole different range of sectors. How yeah. do I now sort of scale the business back to be able to go, right, we're currently serving 20 sectors, for example. This is the one that I want to focus on. How do we go? Yeah. How do I go? What yeah. steps do I need to go to to kind of achieve that aspect? Well, well, the first step you don't do is is sack all your clients that aren't <laughs> yeah. in the niche you've chosen. If you've got income. Terrible idea. But, <laughs> but some people do. They kind of go, oh, I've, I've decided to focus. So I've got rid of all of these so I can focus. Hey, what, where's your money coming from in the meantime? Except clients who, who cost you more than they earn you, then they are the ones to consider going, you know what, actually... I'm charging them this, but they cost me double to service. So, so really, unless I'm willing to do it effectively half price. So, so the step is firstly, and if people don't know the 80-20 rule, I absolutely recommend that they yeah, research it. Second but the, the fundamental is of the 80-20 rule that 20% of what you do delivers 80% of the results you really want. It also means 80% of what you do is kind of a waste of time. So, what I'm always suggesting with clients is start to identify the 20% of your customers or clients you've currently got who are you enjoy working with most, you can charge most profitably and value what you're doing. And then go, how do I build from that and try and get a few more? So step by step, we're going, let's get more of those. And as we do, and we can charge more, there's always some churn. We're going to yeah. start losing some of those other clients. We can either... Tell them we're putting our prices up to match in due course with fair warning. We don't want to be unfair to existing clients. But if they don't want to go with us, then it's time to 
help them move on to someone else. So it's yeah. a gradual process of going, identify the 20% that really works for you and you work for them and find more. Particularly asking those clients who love you, who else do you know? Do you know anyone else who's in a similar industry, a similar business that I could approach? Particularly if you've done the right thing and at various stages got customer feedback or there's key moments in a relationship to ask for a referral. Sure. And that's in the high moments when mm. they've signed with you and they're excited, when you've just delivered on something and, and they're they're thrilled or you've done some customer feedback and they've given you a great review, that's the time to go, actually, as you like what we're doing so much, do you know anyone similar to you that maybe you've worked with in the past that we could approach and use you as a, as a, a warm name to say we were talking, could I could I make contact with them? I think the, the one thing that you mentioned is there is getting customer feedback. I know that that is not something in general that cleaning business owners tend to do yes they'll get reviews but actually going a little bit deeper than that and, and asking some poignant questions why did you choose our service why have you stayed for us for so long what were the objections that you had when we went through the bidding process what what benefits do we provide to your yeah. service because i think taking that step and really getting an understanding of once you've identified the 20 percent, like why are they the 20 percent what are the similarities that they represent that you can then sort of identify other clients who have similar characteristics? And also, I think getting that feedback enables you to develop your value proposition and your offer, right? Because they're telling you, well, we use you because of this, this, and this. Now, if that client is telling you that's why they're using you, then there's going to be other clients who will use you for the same reason. Absolutely. But I think there's 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 a, a barrier that I find business owners face with with asking for feedback. I think it's almost like trepidation. They're they're afraid to recognize why they're they've got clients. Why why do you think why do you think that is? Because we don't want to hear the bad news. We don't want to invite <laughs> bad news. We'd we'd yeah. rather just have they're they're, they're paying. No news you know, is we're, good we're, news. We're, we're going back. <laughs> but as you as you say, firstly feedback. We can use it to improve our marketing material because the best marketing material is always in the words of our clients. So when we get that feedback, we have some fantastic copy to improve our own marketing. But the other thing, I mean, one of the important questions with, with that feedback is, what is it we do you really value? So for mm. example, I found out a lot of my clients, they were very complimentary about the coaching, but particularly the face-to-face -face clients, they all said, we love the coffee he does. <laughs> So I've really upped my game with the coffee and it's almost legendary locally. I you saw know, that on your website, to be honest. I did see the coffee on your website. And and people that they're arriving, they're they're tired, they're stressed. And to be start the session with a really good cup of coffee, it's it's some love that they do appreciate. So I've really made a thing of it. And they yeah. and it's even more popular. So you learn these incidentals that you may not have quite realized how much they were appreciated, you know, that, that, that there's something you do when you leave the building or wh whatever it is, whatever it is, but you find out incidentals. But going back to getting the feedback, yes, most are anxious. And frankly, I think it's better to find a way of them giving it to you anonymously, yeah. which might mean there's some sort of survey. Don't overdo them, but do them from time to time or yeah. get someone independent to ring them up for you and have a chat because most people will take the time. And, and this is what I do because I don't have hundreds of clients. I'm a I'm a low volume, high value business. I have a few clients who pay good money, although I have a, an online 
which is different. But if you don't have hundreds of clients, getting someone else to do it, they're going to have a chat and they're going to find out all sorts of things you'd never get from a survey. And, and the person who does it for me, what they then do is they, they take all that information, they record the call, and then they get some approved testimonials from it, agreed with the client. And it takes all the effort away from the client doing all the writing. Most yeah. people are happy to chat. Most people are happy to talk, to sit down and write some feedback is a pain. So I quite like getting an independent person to call in and, and get that high value, that high value information. And I would say, going back to our 80-20 rule, if you've got a lot of different types of clients, most of them you could do, say, with a survey. But the ones who are your real niche, that's when you might get someone else independent to make that call because you yeah. want a higher quality of feedback. And they're the ones you, you want to turn into a case study as well, right? To use for your your marketing because yeah. they're going to, you'll be able to document the transformation. They were here, they worked with us, and now they're here. And, and that then just adds ammunition to your marketing material, to your sales script, all that kind of stuff. It, it adds in the benefits. So as much as there's a reluctance for people to ask for feedback, yes, I, I can understand it. And I'll admit, I, I wasn't always forthcoming with asking for feedback when I when I have my cleaning business. But the times that I did, there was always a benefit from it because quite often clients will, they won't say anything if everything is, is going well, which is great. They'll say something from time to time when it, it's it's not going that well. But if you like, if you encourage them to give you feedback, then it, it's a really valuable learning experience, not just to improve your service, but but as you say, do we serve them coffee when we go on site visits? Did we bring a cup of coffee when they go on site visits? Did they enjoy the donuts that we bring to give them a little bit of a sugar boost? So now I think the feedback aspect is is massively valuable. So look, we've identified the sort of three circles that that give us a foundation for rock solid business model. So let's move on a step. We've identified those elements. We've got a good foundation to to build from. So what now we're trying to grow the business. What, in your opinion, are some of the biggest barriers to to business growth? So we've, we've got our model, which has said, these are the kind of clients we want to attract in this kind of number and sell to at this kind of price a year from now. That's our. Yeah. And the challenge, the biggest obstacle, I think, is choosing the strategic priorities to get there because there's so many things we're told we could do. And, and that's where the, the business jet engines of diagnostic mm -hmm. model comes in, because that's how we identify those one, two or three high impact priorities that are going to make the biggest difference. Because what, what happens is when we see business as a system, because a business is a, is a series of interconnected parts, what we start to realize is that when we really fix one area, there's a whole pile of cause and effect knock on effects that are beneficial. So by fixing one bit quite well, other areas are improved. Whereas we might go, let's just keep doing the thing we do best to make that better. But we're being dragged, all these other areas are dragging us along. So it's that mm. diagnostic. So I, I don't know if you want me to sort of talk you through the model. For let's simple. talk through it. So there's, there's seven major parts to the jet engine and some subparts. So there are actually seven major parts. At the subparts, it's 17. So that's when it does start to get quite okay. a lot. But hold on tight. I say I make the complex simple. Yeah. Believe me, business could be so much more complex. So, so I'll, I'll do it by telling a, a story, but fairly quickly. When sure. most people start in business, they know there are three things you've got to get right. You've got to solve a problem for your client with your products or service. You've got to have customer service. You've got to look after them. And you've got to have your operations to deliver that product or service fairly efficiently and effectively. 
So most people go into business knowing I've got three things, I've got to get those right. What they hope is by word of mouth, their business will take off because that's <laughs> the dream. We've seen the movie, build it, they will come. Yeah, exactly. Kevin Costner movie. It'll be so good, everyone will be knocking on my door. Three, six months later, they're going, best thing I've ever done, but then there's not enough work. And they realize they've got their engine, but you need air in an engine to make it work. I've got to do that thing called sales and marketing. So the th first three parts of a business are the, the product or service, your customer service, and your operations. The next major part is your sales and marketing. And there's a few parts that you've got to have your marketing to attract the leads. You've mm -hmm. got to convert. That's your sales process. Out the back of the engine, you need happy customers for a sustainable business. Then with whether you've got happy customers, customers or not, there's a feedback loop, which is getting your customer feedback because you need to know what you're doing well what and what to fix or improve. Then you've got to remarket back to existing customers to make sure they know everything you can do because you want to maximize and really look after a client when you win them. So that's like your supercharger. And then there's one final bit where you need to understand long-term where your marketplace is going, but I won't get into that today because that, sure. that's sort of a, a slightly more advanced, nice to have. So our business owner, they're now much better at sales and marketing, much more work coming through. And they're really busy for a couple of years. They've been working really hard. And then their accountant says, you've got to pay this much corporation tax. And they go, what do you mean? I've made this much profit I'm paying tax on. There's no money in the bank because they've been working so hard. They've not really paid enough attention to the finances. And it's the, the finances are like the fuel in the engine. You've got to get that mix right, air to fuel. And it yeah. all starts with getting your pricing right. Out of the, you've got to charge enough to ever make that profit. Out of the back of the engine is for some people a dirty word profit your exhaust gases <laughs> so you've got to get the exhaust out the back the exhausts you can use for boosting your business to reinvest so it's like a turbocharger but also how do you get all of that mix right with your engine management system that's your management account so you've got to get those in place so then most people who are the engines working much better now but somehow the business is still struggling and what's happened is they've been so busy trying to get all these bits right they've hired casually and if you've got mm. rubbish people, it's like having an upside down wing. If you've got average people, it's a, a wing with no real profile, but you just go along using uptime money and energy. If you have the right profile people, have the right profile wing that gives you lift. And that's when you can really take off and grow. So you've got to get the right people and you've got to lead them well. You know, the way you induct them, train them, develop them, motivate them and get rid of the people who really are never going to perform. So now we've got our plane up in the air flying around, which, by the way, is illegal and, and foolish because you need your pilot in the cockpit with his plans and his dashboard of dials so he knows, is everything okay? Am I on track? Am I at the right height with the right fuel heading in the right direction? So that now gives us 17 subparts, but seven major parts, the, the three, which are the engine, the product, the customer service, the operations. Then you've got your sales and marketing cycle, then you've got your finance cycle, and then you've got your wing, and then you've got your, which is the people part, and then you've got your plans and your business tracking KPIs or targets and goals, your seven major parts. So what happens is when you've got all of those and you see it as a system, you then go, okay, for our business model, where we want to be in a year's time, how well set up are, am I in each of those 17 areas or seven yeah. areas if you want to keep it simple to start? Sure. And we score out of 10. I'm really well set up, 10 out of 10, five, just good enough to achieve that goal, zero, that area is neglected. And when you score that and put it on a diagram, 
you can start to go, okay, if I fixed one score this year that would have the biggest knock-on effect, which would it be? And that really focuses the mind on a high-impact priority to go above all else if there's one thing I carve out. Because the thing with strategic goals, they take time, money, and energy not readily available. Otherwise, everybody would be a huge success. It's finding these things that take the time, the money, the energy that's not readily available and go, I have to commit to that this year. So when you get one right, that makes a big difference. And most business owners are pretty motivated. So normally we come up with two and then three high impact priorities for the year to go, what will move me on the most? And that's when we really start to get, by doing this rinse and repeat process year on year, that's yeah. when we get comparatively stress-free year-on-year growth. So it's, an, it's an, very much an incremental process. Once, once you're where you are as a business owner, where is your business? Where are your strong points? Where are your weak points? Then it's a case of, okay, the strong points we'll just keep as is for now. Like what are the one or two weak points that we can focus on for the next 12, 18, 24 months that are gonna have the biggest impact so what's the one lever that is going to make a lot of other levers relevant, perhaps, or, or be able to overcome a lot of the other levers? And then once you've kind of reached uh, a good enough score on that, you move on to the next lever, move on to the next element that you need to improve. Is that, is that fair to say? I would, I would modify that a little bit. The principle's right. The sure. time frame of 12, 18 months is probably not because... Okay. What we want to do is get each area to good enough. If we try okay. and over-perfect any area, this is, say, transferable from design. When I used to design these, these big bits of equipment, what I'd find is if I was initially starting out and I'd perfect one corner of the design, and then I'd think through the second corner, and then the third corner. By the time I got to the fourth corner, all my problems were left there, and I couldn't resolve it. I'd have to scrap it and start again. Right. So I learned to kind of go, let's think through the first corner roughly, rough out the second corner, rough out the third, rough out the fourth. Get that up to an even standard. Okay, what's not perfect, let's go round again, and let's go round again. So it's an iterative cycle of getting things good oh, yeah. enough and then up a stage. So with oh, these yeah. things I'm suggesting you get in place, you know, it's for the business level you're at, some bits will be weak. Let's get them good enough for the rest sure. of the standard so we have a balanced business. And we don't want to overdo any one area. We want to get each area up as best we can. So it's more like let's do it for a couple of months, improve our people, or yeah. you know, three months giving some proper training if it's our people right, scores right, right. down. Okay. And then we'll get that up and underway, and then we'll go, but the next thing, we really need to look at the pricing and the management accounts because yeah. we're, we're hemorrhaging money because we're not paying proper attention. So it's choosing those priorities. We might say we've got to get the money right, but actually if our staff are causing so much trouble, you know, we get so many complaints. We have such churn. There's no point looking at the money because this <laughs> yeah. is going to remain in chaos. So we might say, let's let's make sure we've got some few, a few really reliable members of staff that we can trust. Yeah. Get their pun them underway, guiding the others. Then we'll make sure we get onto the money and the pricing, and make sure we're not losing money in stupid ways, so that yeah. we start to make more healthy profit. And then yeah. we might say that gives us some more room for some better marketing. Okay. It's that kind of thing. What What's okay. the order of those three top level high impact priorities? And then once our business has come up to, to a standard, we go, okay, rinse and repeat. Let's go. So what next? Looking at our business model, we've normally changed a bit. We've normally upgraded our, 
aspirations or we go no we're still on the same model what do we need to change this time let's look at the scores again what are the next three priorities okay so it's more a case of moving like your twos and threes to fives and sixes or sevens and then possibly or but sometimes you can for the level of your business you might be surprised so your twos and threes, five is just good enough. So that okay. would be the minimum you want to get it to. I do yeah. want to get it to a six, maybe a seven. But I would say don't try and get it to a nine. The first rung is let's get it to a five, get other elements to a five. And then once, we're, once we've made overall improvements to all of the weak points, then we can go around the circle again and go, okay, what's the next priority to get to a six or a seven? Okay, let's let's focus on getting that to a six or seven and then move around the circle again. This is where the experience comes in. And there may be some scores that are, that are, say, profit is often a low score. It's not yeah. what people would like. And that's a resultant. So you can't, you can only work on that indirectly. So you may say, well, we just have to ignore that that score isn't a five <laughs> yet because we've got to get everything right to it. There may be some scores we can go, well, we can live with those being weaker for now. But, but these will make the big difference to our business. So it is a bit of a personal take. And, okay. and there is some developing experience. But people tend to know when they look at their business, actually what they can let lag a bit and what's crippling them. And it's okay. more like, you know, what's crippling us and what will improve us most. So I wouldn't say all schools have to be equal because also sure. what happens is every time you upgrade your business model, and then you rescore. It's not like all your scores have gone up. Actually, some of them would have gone <laughs> yeah. down because you're now going, we're aiming at bigger fish. Yeah, we yeah. found actually we have a real niche here, which we didn't realize. You yeah. know? So we're actually quite weak in some areas. Our marketing now just is not good enough for that kind of client. So that yeah. score that was an eight is now a, a three against the new business model. But that's all part of the fun of it. Okay. So look, there, there was a question that I was meant to ask when we were talking about the business model, which was around pricing. That That's the... The one area that you identified is is often a common hurdle and challenge. And you, you've mentioned a couple of times already in terms of profit and the fact that you also deliver a high value service to a handful of clients. What what are some of the pricing strategies or approaches, I guess, that that you suggest or recommend when you kind of assess people's businesses rather than taking the race to the bottom approach? How, how else could they make sure that they're pricing their, their product or service at an acceptable level? Well, the, the first I would say is to really understand what your customer values, mm. to have an in-depth conversation, just not about the practicalities, but, but find out what is it they really need most from the company that is going to come and do this contract for them? What is it beyond just having the place cleaned? matters most like is it security is it empathy yeah. is it respect for appliances what is it that has to be really taken care of in that process and th and that's the bit that gives you the, the the chance to go what what what's that worth to you if that could be solved mm. how much difference would that make to you emotionally how much difference would that make to to how people feel working here you want to get deeper than just the practical numbers. So for, for me, it's a little bit easier perhaps because I can say, okay, if I come and work with you and we look at the potential of your business, here's what we could get you to in terms of turnover and revenue and profit. Here's my cost. Mm. It's a fairly kind of easy, sure. easy balance. You're almost selling a, a stress purchase with, with cleaning. So I think yeah. it is trying to find out what are those additional nice-to-haves. Is it yeah. about trust? Is it about security? Is it about the quality of clean, the reliability what is it you value most 
and if that's what you specialize and you go well we're not the cheapest but if that's what you really value this is why we can give you that and this is what it would cost how does that sound but but the but the other way of price testing that's if people aren't comfortable with conversations is is there's an idea that 10% of your clients if you offered them a gold service or a vip mm. service they would take it sure so i always like to give two prices you know here's the basic package Here's the VIP package and find out how many people go for that. If no one goes for it, then you know you're pretty much on a, a sort of a pretty economy service. But if you find there are people who like that VIP service, then that's what you've got to look for more of those. And I guess so I, it's, so I call it price mm. testing. There's also when you're comfortable enough, that's the time to when you've got a new client, you try and sell more. I call it selling on value, that thing beyond just the, the money transaction. What's the thing they really value? And you're looking for what is that? And what are they willing to pay for it? And that's with a, a new client. You might try a slightly chancing price, if you like, <laughs> and see how do they respond. And if not, well, at least you've negotiated down to your normal price. I guess that all goes back to knowing your your customer, your client, right? That That's kind of the, the fundamental trigger for all of this. And that then feeds into delivering the right product or service, which is the the one of the cores of the, the jet engine. So really... I can start to see now how this is all one big feedback loop. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I love what you're saying about understanding the client's needs, because say another thing from my design background, when you're designing, I learned very early on, the better you understand the problem you're trying to solve, the more the solution reveals itself. Now, you know, when you're showing a client, you really want to understand what their needs are. One, you're going to start getting ideas about, well, there's little details we could do that would really help with that but also what's the experience you're giving that person hmm. you're showing i really want to understand what matters to you i'm showing you i care now yeah. if you've simply gone into that room and asked more appropriate questions given that person more, more reassurance they're going to get what they want if your price is slightly different and you're higher but they go this person got me who's going to get the job so just thinking thinking about that say you are pricing you're going through that discovery process are there do you have like two or three core questions that you generally tend to ask or that are pretty transferable regardless of sector or industry, which kind of reveal the the value-based sort of answers that you're looking for, which will help you produce a, a better product or service? They're maybe a little bit abstract if they're non-industry specific, but, but sure. what we're really aiming at is what's the problem you're really trying to solve? Okay, there's there's what... Yes, you want the place clean. Sure. But what do you want beyond that? What 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 does that mean to you having the place clean? What do you imagine when we've left the building? What are you really looking for? So it is what what matters to you most. And if you had that, what will that give you emotionally? What will that give you mm. logically? What will that give you in terms of reassurance, security, or finance? Yeah. So it's that when you've got that, what does that give you? That's super valuable. Okay. So look, we've identified the elements of the business model. We've kind of looked at the the fundamentals that you need to get in place to obviously help help your business to grow. One of the things, so in the intro, intro to your book, The Business Jet Engine, I, I've read about Bin Man Dan. Yes. Love that story. But one of the key things that was brought up in there is, is obviously hiring A players and, and understanding, like being able to assess the quality of your your staff so like with that in mind 
and just taking it out of the context of cleaning, just in business in general, first off, how do you go about assessing the the quality of, of your staff? And then mm -hmm. as a, as a follow on from that, once you've identified where you are or where they are, the current standard, how do you then level up for want of a better expression? Sure. So how do you assess? So let, let's just, this is maybe a, a slight aside, but let's look at the three <laughs> qualities any entrepreneur needs. First, they've got to have know-how and skill. The second, they've got to have drive, attitude, motivation. And some people say attitude is everything, which I slightly object to. It's hugely important, but it's you've got to have skill that comes with that. And then the third is you've got to be able to build networks, relationships. Every entrepreneur needs to be able to do those three things. And, and so do your team members. But to be high-functioning individuals who take ownership and responsibility for the job you are paying them to do and not drag you in to do it half the time for them or drag other members of staff in to do it. They need to see, have technical know-how and competence, the job skill. Second, they have to have drive, motivation, attitude. Third, they have to be good with the people that they're working with, whether it's team members, suppliers, customers, etc. So I break that down into C for the competence, D for drive, for relationships and what I get clients to do is is score out of 10 for that person and the level they're at and what you're paying them you know the skill level they should have how good are they out of 10 at the technical aspects of the job 10 knock it out of the park five yeah. just good enough zero rubbish and then what's their drive their attitude their motivation like 10 can be more motivated five just do what it takes no more zero really don't give a damn relationships do people love working with each other look forward to it do they take it or leave it or zero dread working with each other so i score them in those three areas and then you you add those together divide by three so you get an average score out of 10. Okay. so typically against those scores a players between an eight and a ten they're the best they take ownership responsibility you mm -hmm. couldn't ask for more and when you get a players in your business it is an energizing experience. You can mm. work over, they take it away, do it brilliantly, come back and ask, what's next? B players, seven to eight, they're almost there. They just need a bit of help, but they want to be an A player. C players, they're loyal, they're steady, they'll do a good job, but they need a bit of hand holding, but they're fairly reliable, but you'll never win the league. <laughs> just C players. And and A players don't love working with C players because they kind of, what you allow, you allow, yeah. and they kind of go, well. And then you've got your C minuses and your Ds who are the ones who, it's never my fault if you gave me better equipment, if you paid me more money, if it wasn't so rainy, if I didn't have to go to the doctors. They're the ones who, whatever you try and do, they are just going to drag the business down. And they're the ones, with any of these, you've got to try and help them switch up. Everybody has potential. So you look at their score and go, what's the prognosis, you know? are they because there's where they are now but you go actually what's their potential because it may be they don't have the skill set yet but they've got the drive the motivation and the aptitude to learn mm -hmm. or you go actually if we just had a chat they probably if they, we could probably switch them on or they could learn a few better mannerisms with customers or they sure. if we flagged it up they'd probably not realize they're not being very cooperative with their team but if they knew it was important they'd step up so what i do is having got those scores you go actually if I was going to improve one, two, or three things in those areas, what would make the biggest difference? The same question. There sure. were one, two, or three things that would make the biggest difference to their score. What would we look at? So it might be there's one thing in the, the, the technical skills area. There's some bit of equipment they don't yet know how to use that would raise their game. 
there's something about, well, actually, if they just knock off exactly on time or if they were actually here early and left after time, not I've arrived just after the start time and I'm, I'm gone just before, whatever it is, or, or there's something with people. You look at those three things, have a chat with them and go, are you willing to up your game to these? Because currently we only employ A players. That's what we want here. Do you want to be part of our A team? <laughs> is this the place for you? Are you up for it? Because we believe you can do it, particularly yeah. if you've scored their potential and sh- and you reckon they could be an A player. Or you go, look, I'm not sure that you can make it to that. Would you like to prove me wrong? How much does it matter to be here? Because this is what we want is A players. Nothing else is really acceptable. It's up to you. What would you like to do? I guess that then comes once you've got an understanding of of where your your team is at and and say you've got I'm going to use I'm a Spurs fan so Tottenham have had one A player for for 10 years and the rest are probably B's roughly B's now that A player is gone and I think in order to unearth another A player like they're going to need training right and I think and support I think one of the one of my failings when I had my business was not providing enough of a training and, and support sort of infrastructure to enable potential A players who are currently B minus Bs, but with the right motivation and support and enthusiasm, like they, they could turn into A players. I think that was one of my biggest failings, not really putting in the, the right sort of infrastructure to, to an, allow A players to be unearthed. Is there, like, do you have any recommendations or suggestions or approaches as to how to how to deal with that or kind of implement a support system? And also, I guess the original question that I was going to ask was, if you are looking to just employ a bunch of A players, that, that requires a bit of a change in culture as well, right? And I think that then leads into, like, you as the leader of the company being able to take the responsibility to to change that culture and drive that change, which is yeah. a separate thing. But if we deal with like the the training and the infrastructure first, and then perhaps we can we can cover off the the culture and the uh, leadership. Aspect. Actually, can we do it? The, can we do it the other way? Yeah, right? sure, absolutely. You, you, you've asked such a good question, so I have to <laughs> tackle that. Sure. Because actually, it's easier to raise the culture. Most people think if I get kind of the non-performers moving up, that'll improve things the most. Actually, the counterintuitive thing. This is an advanced basic is you you talk to your best people and get them hyper performing okay and and the, and the point is most not most all a players even if they're not at an a player now you, unearthing a players is easy because they want to be a player hmm. someone who isn't an a player on your score sheet will be gutted and they want to know how to get there they want that conversation with you so so i would start with the people you think have the greatest potential to really perform. If they're already an A, get them to be an A+. Start with your best people and get them hyper-performing because it starts to create a clear water, a clear gap between what you're looking for and what's not acceptable. Right. And and this is the beauty of what I call the CDR process. It should be a motivating conversation. It's a human-to-human, I care about you conversation, but do you care about you and is this the place for you? Because I've got a dream for this business and I've got a dream for your place in this business. Are you up for it as an A player? And if so, let's discuss your scores. This is what I've scored you. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You'll typically find your A players will underscore themselves. Okay. Your C minuses and below will overscore <laughs> themselves. <laughs> but in the end, it's just a discussion. What really yeah. matters is you're going, because no one's going to be 10 out of 10. It's 
to get you to a 10, even if you're a, an average nine, what do we need to get you to a 10? If you're an average five, what do we need to get you to a seven? What are the three things? And having a two-way conversation around, is it about technical competence? Is it driving attitude? Is it people skills? Having that conversation, what your perception is or what training they think they need, it's a two-way conversation to go, okay, so in the next three months, we're going to get some skills training for you. We'll do it ourselves or we'll send you out somewhere to learn to use a piece of equipment that would be hugely valuable to us. Or here's a round attitude. Well, it's quite simple. You, you turn up with a sulky face. It'd make a world of difference if you turned up looking happy. <laughs> Let's see if the next two weeks you can turn up with a smile on your face. And the third thing is just around customers. We've had some feedback. The work you do is amazing, but you just look a bit surly because you turn up with a grumpy face. Could you just every time with a smile, you just greet the customer, say, hello, this is what I'm going to be doing today. Was there anything different you wanted? Yeah. Whatever that relationship is or whoever the or the team member they're not getting on with just yeah. to get this is what we think you need to do differently to get on better with that team. So it's keeping it quite simple. It's not rocket science. It's about human to human. <laughs> That's very true. So look, I was reading through your book and the last sort of section does focus on like leadership and, and mindset, which is where like some of these elements come in in particular i think dealing with people which i think is is probably the the way i see it one of the the most challenging aspects of, of running a business because as the business owner no one is going to do it better than you that that's that was the mindset that i used to have the reality is there's a bunch of people that can do a whole bunch of stuff a lot better than you but it's a process of finding those and accepting the fact that you do need to delegate you need to focus on on what your core competency is but also you need to switch your mindset from i have to do everything i need to be everything i need to touch everything to okay i need to build the team that is going to enable me and allow me to going back to the jet engine allow me to achieve my my mission or deliver my mission and, and achieve my vision what what are some of the i guess what are some of the tools or some of the, the strategies that you you give to entrepreneurs who have a big, hairy, audacious goal that they're looking to achieve. And they may be away, away from that right now, but they have some limiters in their mindset, which, which won't allow them to achieve what they want to achieve. Okay, so there's, there's two questions there. One is about sure. building the team. The other is yes. the mindset. So should we take the team one first, yeah. the people? Because I totally agree. If you have non-performers, you'll spend 80% of your time getting those non-performers to perform, which is draining. Yeah. You've got a great team. You spend 20% liaising, coordinating. 80% leaves you building the, the business. So that all starts with hiring. And you've got people have to change their mind how they hire. The traditional way is you put out an advert, you, you shortlist the CVs, you interview by asking clever questions. <laughs> and then from the person you liked most, you hire them and give them a trial. The problem is you're already emotionally engaged and you're contractually engaged. So what I try and do is say, would you would you buy a car that way? Would you buy a car based on the tech spec in the window and what the salesman tells you? Because that's how you're hiring. What you've got to do is test drive them. You've got to think of some simple ways of checking they have the skills that you want in the hiring process to filter out those that don't. So if you've got detailed procedures you like your team to follow, make the application process, make sure there's some detailed procedure to follow. And if they don't, they don't pass the first phase. You don't even mm. see them. Those you do like, if they've got to have a good phone manner, you might say, 
call me to arrange an interview, see what happens, and then chat mm. them on the phone first. Does that work? If they can't be bothered to phone you, but that's an important part of the job, no good to you. So you're filtering people out by testing them at each stage to make sure it's a good fit. Because remember, this is like a marriage. It's got to be right for them and you. You don't yeah. want to just be permanently frustrated with someone who should never have had the job. So then you might invite them in, get them to show them around the job, see if you like them. If so, go, great, we'll come back for half a day and we'll get you to do some work with us. And you might get a few other members of staff to do one job with them, another job, see how well do they pick things up? Are they trainable? What do they like to work with? There's things you're looking for. You've got to list them out and go, let's think of some simple ways of checking. They have those before we even put them on that six-month probation. Because what happens when they start with you, you get emotionally engaged. They're a nice person, but actually mm. there's a problem at home and, and this isn't going quite right. And the first six months, it's a bit rocky, but let's give them another six months. And two yeah, years later, yeah. three years later, you kind of go, finally, they left because actually they drained me. Mm. They were never up to it. And that's three years wasted where you couldn't grow your business because you hired the wrong person. So it's it's that being diligent and doing simple but effective tests to make sure they have the skills and qualities you want yeah. before you even give them a trial. I like that process. So it, at each touch point, it is, like you said, just a mini test. And you, you, you tailor that application process to the type of role that you're looking to hire for, right? So you can... Absolutely. Okay. Every role, there's a different series of, 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 of tests. It's about fit because it has yeah. to be right for them. And anyone who says, well, I don't want to come and do that for a couple of hours, you go, look, this is to make sure it's right for you too. Yeah. If you're going to join us for three to five years, I'm hoping you want to be here for three to five years. Don't you want to know this is right? Yeah, if they yeah. don't, they're the wrong person who can't see that. It's just, well, you're not paying me. We're both investing. We're both investing in checking this works for us both. You want to see if this is the job you want. You're going to leave your job. Exactly. Look, if you want to be an A player, this is this is how it starts. So the yeah. second and, part and, of the question, and, sorry, and, and that's that's there. A players will go the extra mile. They will go. I happily come in and show you what I can do. I want yeah. to come in and check you out. For sure, because I've got uh, choice. Because I'm good. Exactly. The second part of the question was around mindset. So, what are some of some of the tools, strategies that that you kind of teach to entrepreneurs to, to help them overcome some of the blocks that they have in their mindset. And and in some ways that is the hardest one because I think you have to be a fairly positive and ambitious person to even attempt to start your own business. Sure. But I think the main thing I would do is is go back to yes, you've you've got to be positive and you've got to be ambitious, but most people starting a business are. Where I see them falling down is they actually lack those other two qualities you need in complement which is you have to build your knowledge. You have to build your skill of building a business. You can't just build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, there's an awful lot of people at the moment saying it's all about my mindset. Come on my course, I'll give you the, the winning mindset. <laughs> but then you're still no wiser. I, I, I got into serious trouble financially because I was all mindset and no skill and okay. started a business <laughs> that failed. You know? Affirmations daily, just writing on the mirror. That's it. Oh, it's going to happen a lot. I was so convinced, it. <laughs> but it also made me blinker to, to, to listening anyone talking wise words in my ears because I was so convinced <laughs> that they weren't going to disrupt my mindset. So you've got to build your skills at the same time, sure. and you've got to build your network and your relationships. Get mentors, get a support group, get peers who are working at the same time. Draw, join business support groups who are doing the same sort of thing. So you're learning together and you can learn from each other. You can see what's coming, you yeah. see what's ahead. 
And and this is part of the, what the jet engine does is it helps show you the road 10 years ahead so you don't sort of fall into the traps if you yeah. don't have to, to try and help you preempt, go, I know this is coming, let me start getting basic things in place sooner than later. So we've we've touched on the business jet engine obviously a few times. Like, talk to me how you came up with the idea. How how did you come up with the idea and how how has it evolved into obviously writing a book, which I know I can imagine is a pretty arduous task. There's there's the community aspect that you mentioned as well. Like give me give me an overview of that. Let the audience know yeah. as well. I will. I just thought of one other thing about the mindset because what I yeah. think one of the biggest conundrums is life in life. You talk about writing a book because it was a hugely daunting <laughs> task is knowing when to persist and when to quit because we know persistence is a hugely important ingredient in success but also trying to bang on a door that is never going to open is a <laughs> route to failure so it's one of those paradoxes in life is is how do we know and there's no simple answer and in the end it's it's part of like really tuning in and going do i still want the same goal but maybe there's another way to it that i should be trying or have I tried enough? Have I really tried this enough to know this won't work? In which case, I need to try a different route and a different route and a different route. And if that still won't, won't work, maybe I really am barking up the wrong tree. But it's one of life's conundrums. There's no clear answer to that. And yeah, I think that's true. one of the most challenging things is to know when to persist and when to when to change your approach. So that's something to be mindful of. I think just to just to book in that point, there's a great book called The Dip that I read, read from written by Seth Godin, where he talks about he talks about that going, being able to understand once you've reached the point where persistence is going to get you over the hurdle that you're facing right now, or whether you you have reached the hurdle that that's too big, that is the final barrier, and it's okay to quit. It's okay to stop and pivot and change and do something else, where in 6, 12, 18, 24 months time, you will have overcome the hurdle from in a different direction, in a different manner. Yeah. And I, I think that's after reading that book, and I think Stephen Bartlett's quitting framework as well, I found quite useful just to understand that quitting doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean failure. It just means that the path that you've chosen hasn't, hasn't worked out. And that's fine. Like there are other paths that you can choose yes does it mean you need to start from point one perhaps but then that goes back to the persistence right and the and the the determination to to get to the goal that you want to achieve well if you're persistent and you're determined enough then having to start a new path isn't isn't going to sway you isn't going to like deter you from achieving your goal and I, and I truly believe nothing is wasted. It's like my design career was not wasted. I bring yeah. so much of that through. Nothing is, is, is ever wasted. So, so backtracking and trying a different approach, you take all of that learning with you. So it, it all yeah, helps right. us on, on, on the next, next stage. So, so yeah. how did the, the business jet engine come about? It was, I'd been doing leadership coaching up in London and they were some much bigger established organizations that had it had all their departments in place that had been running for years. So people kind of, the task there was helping executives perform better, lead better, mm. improving their leadership skills. But when I then started working more locally, I didn't want to commute to London anymore. And I started working with small businesses, particularly on, on their, their leadership skills, which is what I was sort of approaching them with. What I found was, I'd say, so So, what's your strategic plan? What's what's the, the goal that you're all rallying around? And, and there kind of wasn't one other than, well, we're just working harder. We're just, <laughs> trying, to get, we're just trying to get turnover up. And I okay. realized that actually a lot of these businesses were evolving. 
They didn't have these processes in place. They didn't have departments in place. They were too small to even have departments. So I realized there was actually quite a big gulf in people trying to figure out how to grow a business to get to that, that not the size of the big media companies in London, sure. but just to get to, to, a, to be an established business. And I saw there was a journey. I saw the stages as they were evolving that they tended to go through which is the story I told of the jet engine and kind of what yeah. happens. You know, that, that It's not everybody's story, but they're pretty common that, that people figure out these things and it takes 10 years to get them all in place. Yeah. So I thought, well, wouldn't it make life simpler and quicker if I laid out that picture on the jigsaw box earlier for them and said, these are the things we need to get in place sooner than later. Let's try and get them in place even simply. Think of it. So moving from a jigsaw, imagine it's a, a digital screen and you've got some pixels. Over time, we're going to keep trying to add pixels, add definitions in different areas. So overall, the resolution improves as we grow and as we grow. Yeah. Different bits of the business, are we add we add detail, we add definition. So so that's how the idea came about, was just seeing the journey of so many business owners and thinking, actually, if, if they knew, knew the map yeah. and laid it out in advance, we could then go, what next? Let's be much more strategic and what's the bit to build the pixels in next to improve so overall your pictures a much clearer sharper picture and you've so i i read your book and it is it's a really handy guide so a lot of the things that we've spoken about you you break down in the book and i love the layout of the book in particular this is how you can use it and a summaries at the start of each chapter just very briefly i know you've you've spoken about it before but <laughs> just Give me an overview of what that writing process was like to deliver the book. Well, I had the initial idea and I, I had the kind of the framework, but I basically spent a year figuring out how I wasn't getting that book written. Okay. And and what, what was happening was I was putting aside an hour here, two hours there, and I realized it just wasn't enough. And this is this thing about strategic goals. It takes time, money, and energy not readily available. And I realized to get the book finished and I was – doggedly determined to get it completed having committed to do it it was just yeah. one of those non-negotiables i was going to write the book if it killed me which it almost did so in the second year that's when i carved out massive amounts of time personal time and business time i let a few clients as 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 they left i didn't try and replace them so i i my my income deliberately i dropped but i carved out much more personal time gave up weekends three weeks of holiday, which normally I would have used for relaxation, I went and got the bulk of my book written. And, and so it was that carving out time not readily available to get it done that, that is what got it done. But they had it couldn't just be an hour here or there. It had to be I had to sit down for a day, half a day, to really immerse myself. Because I yeah. found with an hour, by the time I'd sat down, remembered where I'd got to, started writing, it's time to start wrapping up, and then a week later, I'd be back in the same place. I wasn't getting much done in each yeah. hour or two hours. I needed chunks, proper chunks, to immerse in the experience. I, I've written a chapter for a book this year, and that that was a challenge. But I have set myself a goal of of writing a book. I haven't got that much time left for this year, but I think you're right. Like doing it in focused chunks is is definitely the approach. But look, with the experience of the book and, and obviously having the the business jet engine formula or model, how how have you sort of parlayed that into the jet club and what, what sort of benefits can people expect as part of joining the jet club? It's an online community, is that right? 
That's right. Yes, it's an online membership. And what we do is people can come on board and they can get help and assistance with getting their business model in place. So at, at various interval, intervals, I will go through that live. But otherwise, there's recordings, but there's a Facebook group where people can nice. put questions, put their results. So firstly, people can be guided through that process of getting their business model right. And then there's video tutorials, and there'll be times in the year when I'll do it live as well and take mm. people through. But otherwise, we're having so fortnightly meetings when there's Q&As, if people are stuck with any part of any mm. process, whether it's the business model, whether it's figuring out their plans, and then it's putting the plans into action or yeah. putting the details to the plans. Anywhere they're getting stuck, they have the opportunity to ask questions live, or they can they can post them in groups. But also, as as the membership grows, There'll be more and more peers, experts who will go, well, actually, I mm. did that last month. I did that last year. This is yeah. what I did. There'll be many more people contributing, which is how these communities work at their best. And I guess the the starting point is the the diagnostic, as if I remember right from the book. And you've got that as a free download on on the Business Jet Engine website. Is that right? That That is. At the moment, the business model isn't, as a, isn't a freebie yet, but that okay. will be. There'll be a light version. But yes, to, to try out the business jet engine diagnostic, then yes, there's, there's a kind of a, a light version, which actually it's a pretty comprehensive version. Um, they can <laughs> download for free. And, and then there'll be a few emails that explain how it all works, just as a reminder. Yeah, so great. There's, there's actually an awful lot there. Yeah. But then if they want the support, They'll have opportunities to to join Jet Club if they want personal guidance and feedback on on where they've got to. Perfect. Well, look, I will include a, a link to the Jet Club and, and the diagnostic in the show notes. And normally, Martin, I end the episode with a couple of quick fry questions. So without wanting to put you on the spot too much, I've got two of them. One is, what do you believe is one golden rule that you need to grow a successful business? Focus. <clears throat> Good, very yeah. necessary. And my second question then is, what three non-negotiable skills do you believe are required to help you execute your growth plan? The ones of any entrepreneur, attitude. Mm. But attitude isn't everything. It's attitude whilst you develop your skills. You've got to learn about the fundamentals of business, what I call the advanced basics. And then the third is you've got to build relationships and networks. You need support of experts around you, peers, just other people who will help you on your journey, help you when you're down. You need a team around you. Great, great contacts who will introduce you. Every every successful person has a great team around them. Build your team, build your network. Can't do it alone. The myth yeah, of the lone hero is... <laughs> no, that's great. Well, Martin, look, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Had a really great conversation. I've definitely learned a lot. Where, where can people find you online? What's the best way to reach out and connect? If they just type in businessjetengine.co.uk yep. and that will take them through to the website on the homepage are all my socials. And if they go to free tools, there'll be the downloads you've talked about, all there's Jet Club. They can rummage around that website and find most things we've talked about. Perfect. Excellent. Well, look, we'll wrap it up there, Martin. So thank you very much again for your time and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks to you guys for listening to the Growth Lab podcast. You can access the show notes and free resources via the link in the episode description. And if you got some value from this podcast, please pay it forward and share it with others across social media or leave a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to as it would really mean the world to me. Hope you enjoy and subscribe and I'll see you in the next episode.